Today's date is December the 11th, 2013, and the title of what God's given me is The Right Prescription. Now, y'all help, help me go through the, uh, the process of our medical care. Not the one that's about to, to just, you know, change our country altogether. Um, when you go to the uh, doctor, you go to the doctor because you're well, right? No, you go to the doctor because something's not right with you. So, if you have a quack for a doctor, or he's just trying to write a script and send you out the door, he may give you the wrong prescription. If he doesn't evaluate the history of who you are, what you need, and where you need to go, and writes you the wrong prescription, well then, in some cases, there's a possibility it could end in a fatality, right? Yeah, exactly. So if someone has a certain heart condition that the doctor's unaware of, or he doesn't pay attention to their charts, prescribes a, a medication that's adverse to the heart condition, well, the, that person could die. So... I would assume that all of us in this room desire to live and live un un until uh, the work of God is complete in our lives. Then we go to get to stand with Jesus in a sweet by and by. And just to clarify this, you may wonder why I use a microphone. For some reason, when I have a lapel mic, we tried this one while I was leading worship one time, taking a microphone out in front of me, I feel very exposed. It feels very weird, so I need some some. <laughs> exactly. I'm just going to sing, but you know, I have a little box with a sliver that big. So, is everybody in, in Jeremiah 42? So, if we're talking about the right prescription, I would say what you have in front of you contains the very words of life. If it's words of life seen as a prescription, then those who read it must need it because we ail of something and that something is our sinful nature so keep that in mind as we begin to read this we're reading about the nation of israel in a time where they have been uh, delivered over into the hands of babylon in captivity for their own sin and they come to a con uh, the realization that they have an ailment and they're asking for help so we'll start in verse one then all of the army officers, including Yohanan, son of uh, Korea, and Jezaniah, son of Hoshaiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest, approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, please hear our, everybody say that next word. And what's the next word after that? So please hear our petition and pray to the Lord, your God, for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left. Pray that the Lord your God, that's your twice, will tell us where we should go and what we should do. With the exception of the your part, doesn't this sound like someone who is truly seeking out the will of God? They're, they're in distress. They're their country has been whittled down to what only is left are the weak and the poor. And they're asking for help. Now, let me give you a slight bit of history right before we, we dive off into this. Right prior to this, you have a man who was set as a governor over the region of, of Judea. 
for the remnant of, of the Jewish nation that was in that area. As he began to uh, find favor with God, managing what was there, he was assassinated. Everyone who was with him, who supported him, was assassinated. So what would you think would all of a sudden creep into the hearts of the people who were still there? Fear, exactly. So if you're taking notes or if you just got a pen, and please write this somewhere, hopefully in your hearts and in your minds. Fear is false evidence appearing real. This is a central key to our lives, how we relate to this word and how to perform out there what we practice in here. Fear is false evidence appearing real. So here you have the arm in the entire remnant of the nation of Israel in the land of Judea. They're full of fear. Their regional governor was assassinated and everybody who supported him. And rightfully so, they come to Jeremiah looking for help. They realize their condition. And they ask, will you pray to your God? Now, what would you, you, would you, would you say someone's relationship with, with God is tight and good if they say your God? No, what, what kind of right response would you expect? Our God. They have an intimate relationship with him. So to some degree, there's an acknowledgement of a disconnect, and they need a mediator between them and God in order to know how to deal with their fear and move forward to get what they need. But watch how Jeremiah responds. Let's continue on. Jeremiah says, I have heard you. Come on, everybody says, heard you. <laughs> if there's ever anything that we desire the most, we desire to be heard, right? So I see all the ladies nodding their heads up and down like this. Most guys are kind of like, uh, yeah, man, that's right. But secretly inside, you're doing the exact same thing. So what I am uh, blessed with, absolutely blessed, is a house full of beautiful women. So I have six, now seven, beautiful women, about the eight beautiful women in my entire home. Hey, buy one, get one free, man. That's what I'm talking about. And there's something that I have to rapidly come to the conclusion of is that even though I know the answer, I know the direction with the correction before any one of those eight or right now seven beautiful ladies ask me something. It could be about the dishwasher. It could be about a spiritual issue. You name it. The minute it begins to come out of their mouth, all of a sudden this divine anointing comes upon me. And I see what needs to happen. Yeah, my wife is shaking her head this way, not this way. What I begin to see is immediately to cut through the emotional part of it and to the practical side of it. Well, you just need to do this, this, and this. And the times that in the past, and very low frequency now in the present, I have cut in on her desire to express to me what is truly going on inside her heart. <laughs> it's not about the nail, exactly. If you haven't seen that YouTube video, that is a must. You got to go see it. I just got this pain. It catches my sweater all the time. It's the nail. It's not about the nail. So I've learned through much painful toil and long conversations that really had nothing to do with the original substance of the conversation that my wife, my girls, sometimes, not all the time, 
just need to be heard. Jeremiah gave that one simple answer. He must have had about eight women in his house at some point. And he said, I have heard you. Now, now I'm picking on women a little bit, right? But something that is absolutely inclusive of men that you will probably do here on the altar, but more than likely in the, the quietness and solitude of your vehicle, is that you will begin to cry aloud to the Lord about something that you're wrestling with. And how good is it, guys, when you just feel that, that, that calm stillness of God's presence, and at the very end when you're done expressing it, he says, I've heard you. That's a peace. That's a reassurance of his leadership in our life, that you know that he knows what your heart really is about, or at least what you're trying to express. So Jeremiah says, I have heard you. I will certainly pray to the Lord, your God. <laughs> See how you redirected that? As you have requested, I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. So first he acknowledges, I've heard what you said. But he gives them a warning. And I'm, I don't think they picked up on it. In fact, you read later on and they didn't. I'm, a, I'm going to hear from the Lord, and whatever he tells me, I'm going to tell you, and I will not sugarcoat it. I will not trim the fat off of it. I'm going to give you straight from the throne what the living God says. When you begin to pour out your heart to the Lord, pour out your heart to those that you're submitted under, you need to understand you're signing up for a two-way street. Do you really want truth. So let's circle back around to our, our doctor analogy, right? So uh, Matt goes to the doctor. I'm going to use myself because I don't want to include anybody else on this. Matt goes to the doctor because he has a severe toe fungus. Hypothetically. And I'm in pain. I mean, that thing is ingrown. It's making four different kinds of cheeses. It's just not doing right, man. Visualize it. Smell it. Take it. So I'm in pain. The people around me are in an aroma kind of pain. This thing has got to get solved because death is creeping upon my door at the floor. What's that? All day. That's what I'm saying. All day. So that's a personal joke. So here I am coming to a doctor and say, Doc, I am suffering severely here. I need you to petition the knowledge and education that you have poured your life into to get for me life because death is on my feet. And he says, I have heard and probably smelled you. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to go research what your problem is, and when I come back, I am not going to hold anything back to give you the right prescription of what you need. Now, you would say that's a good doctor, right? So here's another little side phrase I thought of. A good doctor has lots of knowledge. A great doctor has lots of patience. You got it? Great doctor has lots of patience. So when you come to the point, where not only you're acknowledging your immediate need, 
But when you're given when you given that right prescription, are you willing to do what it takes to really get free from what's ailing you? Like I said in the very beginning, what ails mankind is our own Yetzirah. It's our sinful nature. It's our evil inclination that we were born with. That I could sit there and blame my toe condition on somebody else's fault. Somebody stepped on it, right? So just say, Big Al. Big Al was walking and he stepped on my big toe and it caused all these implications. But what do we normally do? We blame Big Al, but what we neglect is that we haven't treated or put into practice the good that we know to take care of our condition. So first and foremost, you forgive your brother. Secondly, you would go and, you know, put rubbing alcohol, treatment, whatever else. But sometimes we have conditions in our lives because it may have initiated with someone else activating it being the, the provoking element, but we have neglected the, the advice of a physician because we kind of knew what he was going to say. Maybe you just wanted somebody to hear your side of the story. If only they could know what my heart and condition really is. I just want to hear them say, I have heard you. But have you walked away at that point and just thinking that you're healed? knowing that someone else just knows your condition and they've heard you. Let's look at what the remedy was going to be. Then, verse 5, then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God, third time now, sends to you to tell us. Whether it be favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us. For we will obey the Lord our God. Come on, this is that prayer. Everything is going wrong in your life. Lord God, if you can just fix this one thing. If you can take this pain away, you can take away what I've really gotten myself into. I swear I'll serve you. I'll do whatever it takes. But the heart's cry, the real test is, are you seeking the Lord because you really are interested in obeying him? Or are you seeking the Lord because you just want to get rid of what ails you? And there's a vast difference. We all know up here that when we go to obey the Lord and do what he says to do, it's going to result in life. It's going to result in good things of being prosperous, restored, and put back together. But when it's said and done, and you're standing in that moment, and God says, I will heal you, I will restore you, I needed to, you to do it this way, which is my way. Are you willing to do it his way? Are you willing to have the right kind of prescription? Back to my doctor visit. So the doctor tells me, Matt, because you have let this go on so long, have neglected to come seek a physician, and in the beginning do the minor things that could have remedied this, we're going to have to amputate your toe. And I say, but Lord, I mean, not but, Lord, but doctor, I don't want my big toe amputated. 
I'm a runner. I do this. I do that. That's going to hinder my walk. And he says, would you rather die of gangrene or would you just rather have a hindered walk, a limp in your step? And I have to choose in that moment life or death. So let's read further on how Israel reacted. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I just got to pause on that. I read that and it struck me as an encouragement. There's pressure. Whenever you're in leadership of any fashion and someone comes to you and says, I need you to hear from God about my situation and make a right decision to give to me, you feel like if you don't have it in the next five seconds, you have failed. <laughs> Jeremiah took 10, it took 10 days for Jeremiah to hear and receive a word of the Lord for the nation of Israel. That can be encouragement, amen? Amen. I would imagine there was some wrestling. There was some struggle because the, the destiny of a nation was hanging in the balance. And there was some warfare that had to take place. But he finally got a word. Verse 8. So he called together Yohanan, son of Korea, and all the army officers who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. He said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition, says. So who is saying this? God is. Jeremiah is just a conduit. It's coming through. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. I've heard that verse quoted time and time again as the promises of God. What I failed to realize was the condition of what God was asking them. I want you to stay in a, uh, a land, in a position of vulnerability. I want you to, to stare your fear face to face and know that I'm going to be with you. As we read further on, you see that God called out right then what the true problem was. It was their fear of the Babylonians. There was nowhere, no one there to protect them. I don't know. It sounds very much similar to like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But those three young men obeyed the Lord. They stood in a place of vulnerability, if not death. A fourth man joined them, and they came out of that fire smoke-free. That's what God was requiring of the nation of Israel. So let's read on. I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. For I am grieved over the disaster I have inflicted on you. Come on, man. All you guys who are parents, you love spanking your kids? No, I hate it. I hate it, number one, because I, I, my desire is for my children to do what is right. And to, um, in some moments, it reminds me that in, in this area of their life, I am failing as a parent, especially if I don't address it. So apparently I'm missing something in their life. I need to disciple them a little bit further. It grieved God to discipline them. So let, let's, let me add a little bit more to the history and the scenery, what's happening. They're being carried off to Babylon because for 490 years, they neglected to give the land its Sabbath. Come on. The extent of the mercies of God. He waited 490 years for them to get it right. Sometimes God lets things go on so long in someone's life, 
trying to grant them the gift of repentance, and it is beyond a shadow of a doubt when his judgment falls that that's what they deserve. But more so, the word is a mirror for us to look of who we are in this situation. What area of your life is he allowed to go on for so long, but now has come a time of addressing the situation? Let's deal with what the problem is. You know, God disciplines the sons that he loves, but to put his nation, his, the apple of his eye, his treasured possession into captivity, it grieved him for that to happen. But when it comes down to it, it was their own fault. It was their own neglect of his commands that he gave thousands of years beforehand that put, they put themselves in that condition. And right here, God is giving the remnant that is left in the land a way to be restored. That's the final element of the equation of God's discipline. His discipline is not to declare you a failure. His, his discipline is there to restore you and make you more than what you were before. That's what God is constantly trying to do. He wants to make us like him. We were made in his image. But the problem, our ailment, is sin. So we got to deal with it. We got to let his word deal with it. Let's see how this plays out. Verse 11, do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. Let's go to the next verse. However, if you say we will not stay in this land and so disobey the Lord your God, and if you say no, we will go and live in Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the trumpet or be hungry for bread. Another tidbit of information. Years prior to this, Egypt had a pharaoh whose name meant wishes. He will fulfill your wishes. It then progressed to the next pharaoh, Pharaoh Necro, Necho who was brutal. He was full of warfare. He was full of subduing. And the desire to go back to a land that your nation was birthed out of, to come out of this slavery. You want to run to another place of safety that is, once again, it's false evidence appearing real. They begin to realize their current situation, that they were vulnerable, and he's warning them, if you choose to run off to a mirage of peace and safety, there's consequences. Let's read on. Verse 15, then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. If you are determined to go to Egypt and you do not go to settle there, then the sword you fear will overtake you. And the famine you dread will follow you into Egypt, and there you will die. 
The alternative to not doing God's will, to not taking his right prescription is death. There is no other way. So when you're looking at your own life and measuring against the word, what is the Lord putting before you to restore you? But it also makes you vulnerable to natural situations where it has to be God to protect you. It has to be God for you to come through. Come on, business plans are great. But the best business plan is the 66 continuous books that are sitting in front of your face. Because it is the documented character of God displayed in protecting and providing for mankind. Come on. He spoke to the nation of Israel, later quoted by Jesus in the desert. It was I who caused you to hunger and thirst so that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how we are designed. We are designed to digest, absorb the nutrients of God's word because without it, it is death, death within us. Come on. Everything about our society is constantly trying to conquer death from a natural means. It is constantly trying to bypass the side effects of sin. And I'll speak about my own life. When things get stressful, right? The pressure is on. A lot happens in your week. Sicknesses ensue. Cars break. Job doesn't go well. All hell just breaks loose. I'll be honest with you. Not just the first microsecond of temptation, but what swirls around in me is, man, if I can just crawl in my bed and go to sleep and wake up, all this stuff will disappear. If I could just go watch a movie, if I could just go do this other thing that will distract me from my ailment, Maybe it'll all get better. Maybe if I run off to a land where there is no war, where there's plenty of food, I'll rescue myself by just averting what God said to do. You know what God does? Because he loves me as a son, he doesn't allow me to do that because I go to turn on the TV and the power's out or the cable's out. I go to run off to go watch a movie and whatever, it doesn't work. I find the discipline of God not because he's trying to tell me I'm a failure. He's trying to redirect my heart to what truly gives me life, what will truly deliver me. Trust my name. Now, thinking about the doctor scenario, and this happens all the time. Someone goes to a doctor. The doctor has an analysis of their current condition. It is worse off at the root and base of it than what they originally thought, they, the, the patient. And the patient does not like the prescription that the doctor gave them. What do they do? Exactly. They run and go get a second opinion because in that moment they are self-diagnosing. Especially when the doctor, original doctor can't firmly put his finger on what the root cause is. Come on, th this happened with me. Diabetes was developing. All my blood work came back as showing normal, even my, my glucose levels. But for some reason, no, uh, nothing explained. Middle of the day, my right thumb would swell to twice the size as my left thumb. Then all kind of side effects and issues started to, to rise with my body. I'd go to the doctor. He'd, he'd 
try to find out what's wrong, run all these kind of tests. Everything in me had to resist going and researching Google all day long so I could diagnose what was going on, on with me. Because I was ailing. I hurt. I could, my body was having a difficult time functioning. What about whenever your spirit is dry? When your soul and your flesh are beating up on where your spirit really craves. Actually, your flesh is beating up and your soul is just distracted and doing circles with one foot nailed down. And what you crave is just to get rid of the pain. But you're not willing to do what it takes to solve the root issue of what's going on. The root, issue, or the root solution sometimes is to fall on your knees in humility, broken before God, and offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, I don't know what I am doing. I don't know the solution to the problem that's at work within me. I need your deliverance, and I will do whatever you say to do. And then the completion of it is that when he says to do it, you get up and go do it. This may mean like a phone call to a loved one who doesn't like you all that much. This may mean repenting to somebody who you have tried and judged the situation as you are in the right and they are in the wrong. This means reconciling when you think there's no hope to do so. What has God put in front of you that's trying to heal you, but all you can really see is the immediate hurt that it's going to take to do it? Let's read on and see how Israel did. 17. Indeed, all who are determined to go to Egypt to settle there will die by the sword, famine, and plague. Not one of them will survive or escape the disaster I bring, I will bring on them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. As my anger and wrath have been poured out on those who lived in Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You will be an object of cursing and horror, of condemnation and reproach. You will never see this place again. O remnant of Judah, the Lord has told you, do not go to Egypt. Be sure of this. I warn you today that you made a fatal mistake when you sent me to the Lord your God and said, pray to the Lord our God for us. Have this, there been a time, if you're honest with yourself, that you went to the word, you went to a pastor, you went to go seek out what the true remedy really was. But when you got there, it really exposed the condition of your heart that you weren't aware of. Meany, meany, tekel, Parsons. You've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. Sometimes it is a blessing in our life that when we come in contact with the pure presence of God, that it deflates, crushes the inflated view of ourselves to ourselves. There's nothing more humbling to me than coming on to full-time ministry. You know why? Because I stood so close to it that I thought I was there. But that day that I said bye to my secular work, and honestly, I'm still doing a lot of what I've always been doing for the previous years. 
what changed is that I became primary or co-primary target for the enemy to fire all of his darts at. I became or standing in a vulnerable position. There was no backup. And I sold out for Jesus in this area. And said, come hella high water, I will die completing the call that God has put on my life. And here's all I got, Jesus. And in that moment, the next couple of months, what I began to find is that I really wasn't made up of what I thought I was. The small cracks that existed the day before now became the Grand Canyon. I began to find I was not the man of God that I thought I was. And Jesus had to show me that so that I would first come to a point of having an honest assessment, being humbled, deflated of myself, so that he could fill the voids of who I was with him, so that he could complete the call of God in me, and it wouldn't be based on my repertoire of experience and strength. There's nothing that God delights in more than a broken and contrite heart. That's a sacrifice that is sweet unto the Lord. And until you get to that place, you're going to struggle with the will of God advancing in your life. You know why we've been through a wonderful season of warfare recently? Because we are not some dead church that is a social club of just hanging out with each other and patting each other on the back saying, I'm blessed, you're blessed, we blessed, let's all be blessed together. We are about doing the king's business. We are about destroying the works of the devil. You have to learn how to love destroying the works of the devil more than you hate the situation of warfare. Warfare is hard, and it is constant the more that you advance to do the middle of God, center of God's will. But you have to love destroying what the devil has built more than you hate the wrestling and the warfare. That means that children in your household are going to get sick. That means that small things become big things between you and your spouse. That means you are flooded day in and day out with thoughts that you normally never had to struggle with. And it shows the true test and metal of who you are. But in the end, what is declared is that you do not live on your own bread alone. But you have to be sustained by everything that God says. I played football in middle school. I played football in high school. And just the jump between those two was catastrophic to my paradigm. My paradigm. People move faster, they hit harder, plays were more complex, but also the glory was that much greater. So to correlate what it's like, and a lot of you guys in this room are involved in some shape or form of ministry in advancing God's kingdom, and I applaud you, I'm proud of you for it. But when you step into that one point of being completely vulnerable, in obedience to the will of God, especially in ministry. 
It's like going from high school football to NFL. You are dealing in the big leagues. You're going to get hit, and you're going to get hit hard. What used to work for training beforehand will no longer suffice to what's needed now. A quote that I love, I think it's from Leonard Ravenhill, is that a good pastor prays two hours a day. It's not because praying two hours makes you into a good pastor. Is that to be a good pastor, it forces you to have to at least pray two hours a day if you can't survive without it. Come on, am I the only one in this room at some point this year have walked around and felt like uh, an 80-ton elephant was sitting on my chest and there was no way out of it? That the pressure of the situation was squeezing me so hard, even though I know the Word of God up here, for some reason, I can't make it function within here. We hide his word in our heart so that we may not sin against him. And we're going to go through many various types of seasons of preparation for warfare, preparation for harvest, engaging in warfare. But I tell you one thing that we will never do. We will never back down and we will never give up on what God has called us to do. So let's read a little bit further on. Verse 21, I have told you today, but you still have not obeyed the Lord your God and all he sent me to tell you. So now be sure of this. You will die by the sword, famine, and plague in the place where you want to go and settle. When Jeremiah finished telling the people all the words of the Lord their God, everything the Lord had sent him to tell them, Azariah, son of Hoshiah, Johanan, son of Korea, and all the arrogant Men said to Jeremiah, you are lying. The Lord, our God, has not sent you to say you must not go to Egypt to settle there. When you step out to be used by God, and you do exactly what he has told you to do, you said exactly what he's told you to say, you are weighed and measured based on your obedience to God, not based on their reception of your, your words or your actions. The heart of the encouragement tonight is that there is a right way of doing things. There's a right prescription to deal with the ailments that we have. But it first begins with an honest assessment of where you really are. You have to seek out the physician. You have to want to do what he puts in front of you to do. So I ask you, will you, this next week, this next month, seek the Lord out. Seek him out for his prescription. Don't ignore that area of your life that has been ailing your walk for so long. Let's deal with what's wrong so that we can get on and do what's right and do it in a more effective and efficient way. If running to distractions is something that you struggle with whenever things get hard, let's run to the physician and say, Lord, I need you to help me. Help me run to you. Help me run to fellowship. Help me run to your word. I need your help. I need your rescuing power at work within me. 
Because if we keep neglecting what ails us, honestly, you not only just hurt yourself, you hurt all those that you're around you. We need each other. And we need each other to succeed. Amen? Amen.